does the rapture come before, in the middle, or after the tribulation period? The rapture of the church. There are some who say it comes in the middle of that seven-year period. We have a YouTube page, our church does. Um, it's talking with a young man. He's the son of one of the ladies that comes to church here. And he said, you ought to get a YouTube page. And I said, we have one. It's not much of a YouTube page, but we do have one. And that's the way he thinks. And that's why we want to do that. We want to reach younger folks too. Um, and I said, we do have one. And what we have on there is we have uh, little short two-minute clips of the sermons. And if you want to hear more, you click on it and you can go to Sermon Audio and hear the rest. Uh, we also have explanations on how to use our website and how to use our church app, although I'm going to redo those. Um, but on one of those videos was a video about the harvest and the gleanings, and I was talking about that some time back. And just a two-minute video, and somebody watched that and then commented on it to correct my teaching and to uh, just jab at me. And I thought, who is this, you know? And he had say he wrote something to the effect that the seventh trumpet in Revelation chapter 11 is that last trump that Paul talks about, and that means that we are going to go up um, at the end of the tribulation, that we're going through the tribulation. And so I haven't answered him back, and I thought, who is this guy? And I, I looked at his page. He doesn't have any videos. He doesn't have any followers. And I thought, I could waste my time here. This could be a distraction, or maybe he'll just watch some of our other videos and... Uh, but, you see, it's out there. These teachings are out there. Yes. Throw it in the trash can. There you go. He's done it long enough. Yeah. I was not about to sit down and start. No. 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 I think if he's really interested in the truth, he'll call, and I might talk to him. Yes. And really, folks, I'm not teaching this for the purpose of arguing with anyone. I'm teaching this because it's Bible and it has an application for us. Amen. Jesus is coming back. And we're supposed to purify ourselves. We're supposed to be doing something, winning souls for Christ. So uh, we'll look at that tonight. But we need to know, you know, we need to know, does it come in the beginning, the middle, or after the tribulation period? So we'll first... Look at John chapter 14, but I have two points tonight. The first point is the description of the rapture, and the second is the timing of the rapture. So first of all, the description. We're going to look at the scripture for this and the events in order. So John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God Believe also in me. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking to Peter and his disciples. Um, he'd been telling his disciples, I'm going away. Peter said, where are you going, Lord? And he said, where I'm going, you can't follow me now. Um, and then Peter said, I would die for you. And the Lord said, Peter, you're going to deny me. That's the truth. You're going to deny me. And we find that at the end of chapter 15. And so you can imagine the hearts of the disciples are heavy. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's probably talking in a comforting, uh, soothing tone. And then in verse 2. In my Father's house 
are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That is referring to his ascension, which we've studied is literal, physical, bodily ascension to the Father's right hand to sit on the throne and to build New Jerusalem. So if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place. In verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I have that underlined in my Bible. I will come again. Well, now he describes his coming. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I will come again is referring to the rapture of the church. He's talking to his disciples. They're going to become his apostles. He will start his church on the day of Pentecost. And he will come back for his disciples who will lay down their lives, like Peter said. And they don't know yet. So what we have, because they don't have a clue yet. They don't know what he's talking about. They didn't even get it that he had to go away. Every time he, talk, he talked about suffering and going to the cross, they would rebuke him, say, no, that can't happen. They didn't understand. So this is like... This is a mystery. It is a mystery. And this is like the... He's introducing the topic to him. So this is not the full revelation of the mystery. This is like the introduction. Okay? Paul gets the full mystery. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. Well, actually, no, no. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go in order. Let's go to the next one in order, 1 Corinthians 15. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. <clears throat> um, I watch people on these social media pages, and to tell you the truth, social media annoys me. And I'm a, I'm a human, okay? So sometimes I get on these things, and next thing I know, a half an hour, hour has gone by, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> what just happened? I just wasted an hour of my life that I'll never get back. However, there are good things to be had through social media. I understand that. I think one of the ways that we can use it right now is with the gospel while the door is still open. But I just think about all these comments that they make, and you'll just find people arguing, slamming each other, um, not being charitable. <laughs> Uh, at all, and I, I think the, the whole tone of it is not Christ-like um, for the most part, a lot of this stuff that happens. So I think in some cases you end up having to turn the comments off. But what we have is, I'm drawing this little line. This is to represent seven years. The seven-year tribulation period, it begins as we believe, and as the Bible, I think, clearly teaches, it begins with the rapture of the church. Now, there's, there's a period of time, it may be here, it may be at the end, that is not described. So there may be a period of time before the actual seven years begins, but the, the uh, rapture marks the end of the church age and the beginning of the tribulation for our purposes. We're going to talk about it like that, okay? Halfway through the tribulation period, something changes. And that's the abomination of desolation. That's when the Antichrist shows his true colors. Right? So he desecrates the temple. 
the, breaks the peace treaty with the Jews. They're no longer allowed to worship in their temple. How sad is that going to be? They've been at that wailing wall for how many hundreds of years and not able to worship according to the Word of God of the Old Testament, not able to get up onto the Temple Mount for how many... And then they're going to get it again for three and a half years and then it's going to be broken again. But anyways, three and a half years of peace, relative peace in the beginning, and then this... Is, is, is known as the wrath of God. The last three and a half years is when God's wrath is poured out. So we could, we could say the outpouring. The outpouring of the wrath of God during that last three and a half years. So three and a half. And then at the conclusion will be the second... Advent. That's the way we've been teaching it. There are those who say that the rapture, which I draw like that, when the church is caught up, that the rapture happens not at the beginning of the tribulation period, but in the middle. And then there are those, like the guy who was uh, commenting on the YouTube page, that it comes at the end. This is the seventh trumpet, the seven angel, seven trumpet. comes at the end. And I completely disagree, wholeheartedly disagree. So we're going to look at that. And here's the clear statement that we've been trying to say since we started this. The church is not going through the tribulation period. Not the first three and a half years, and definitely not the second three and a half years. Seven years is not for the church, it's for the Jews and for the Gentiles that rejected Christ, a God-hating world. So, <clears throat> the description. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, or 1 Corinthians 15. I got that in my notes, that's why I keep saying that. Now, we're just going to give a simple explanation, beginning at verse 50. Just a simple explanation. Now, this I say, brethren... That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. So what Paul just said is this flesh and our blood, which is tainted with sin, we have Adam's blood running through our veins. It's taint- and you know what? We have a blood problem. We need a blood transfusion. And the only blood that can fix our problem, our sin problem, is the blood of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And, uh, but that's the problem. This flesh and this blood cannot go to heaven. So God has to change it. All right. And then Paul says, when he starts talking like that, he says, folks, I'm talking about a mystery. Now, there are folks who say something else about the rapture, which is just a resurrection. They say this, they say that this is talking about the general resurrection at the end of the age. I want to tell you why I can't accept that interpretation. Another reason why. Paul said this is a mystery. The, the resurrection at the end of the age is all throughout the Old Testament. Everybody knew about that. That wasn't a mystery. Everybody knew. So what Paul is talking about is something that was concealed in the Old Testament concealed in the mind of God, and then revealed. You see, we wouldn't know about it unless God revealed it to us. That's a biblical mystery. So God reveals the mystery to 
Paul. Paul gets the mysteries. This is one of seven big ones that Paul was charged to teach to all the churches that we are charged to keep on teaching and to be faithful to. This is the mystery of the rapture of the church. So he says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So some of us are going to be alive when Jesus comes back. That's what Paul said. Sleep is a euphemism for death. But we shall all be changed. That's the change of our flesh and our blood. He says, it'll happen in a moment. But wait a minute. When you're studying the Bible, you always want to ask a couple of questions. This is basic Bible study uh, 101. Okay? Ask who is speaking and to whom is he speaking. Who and to whom. So who's speaking? Paul, right? The apostle to the Gentiles. Who, who is he speaking to? He's talking to Christians in the Corinthian church. And notice in verse 51, he says, we. Now that's important, because what does that mean? Paul is saying, we. Like if I say to the church that the Lord has allowed me to serve, if I say to the church, hey, we are going to give an offering to the Ukraine Relief Fund, and anyone who feels led of the Lord, we're going to do this together, and whatever you put in that blessing box, we are going to send to Samaritan's Purse. That means that includes me. Amen. And I'm, I'm including myself with a group, right? As the pastor. Okay. Paul is including himself with a group. So what he's saying applies to him and to Christians. And that's all, by the way. That's all. So in a moment, how does it happen? Here's the description. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that means just like that, just in a split second, as at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. That's group number one. I put a little one beside that. The, I, I underlined mystery, and I put a little one beside this. Here's one group. The dead, they're raised incorruptible, and they come up first. And we shall be changed. That's number two. So we who are living will be changed. The dead will come up at first. Then we who are living will be changed instantaneously and then shot up in the air to be with the Lord. He says it happens in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. For this corruptible, that's this old flesh, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We know what those words mean. So, <laughs> glory, hallelujah, we're going to get new bodies that will never die, that will never hurt. Does anybody have knees that hurt and ankles? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's a part of this explanation that has to be there. The trumpet, that's the issue. They say that trump is the last, the seventh trumpet. But uh, yeah, I'm going to be glad one day when I wake up one, one great and eternal day in heaven and there are no pains, right? And then we are, we have nothing compared to the pain of some. At that ladies' meeting, Beth told me about this book that she bought about this lady who, from this disease, I don't even remember what it's called, rheumatoid arthritis, real bad, and her hands all crippled up like this. But this woman 
was, was so talented and blessed of God that she wrote hundreds of hymns. And there are hymns in our hymn book that we wouldn't have. Uh, if this, and she wrote it in beautiful handwriting with these gnarled up hands. And just imagine how much pain you would be in every day. One day, she's going to have a brand new body, you know. So we look forward to that. We are a hopeful people. Now, this corruptible must put on incorruption. Verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now notice again in verse 55, there's two groups here. O death, where is thy sting? That's one group. Those are the ones, the first ones to go up, that are asleep in the ground. Just their bodies, not their souls. Just their bodies. Their souls are in heaven. That's the first group. The, the, the death and then the grave. Where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy victory? Death has no sting for those who are raptured and alive. And the grave has no victory for those who are asleep in Christ. So I just kind of got that mixed around a little bit, but you can straighten it out in your own head. You see that? Isn't that wonderful? And that means that Paul was saying in verse 52, we shall be changed. Paul expected any moment just like that he could go up to be with the Lord. Paul believed in the imminency of the return of Christ. Any time now, Jesus Christ could come back. And Paul said, we, Paul thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. We shall be changed. He looked forward to it. It's all throughout his writings. Okay? Now, if I take that long to explain everything, we're never going to get done. So, somebody tell me to hurry up. 1 Thessalonians 4. One more. There are three major portions of Scripture that deal with the rapture of the church. John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Thessalonians 4. Yep, those are the three big ones. <clears throat> so, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. And Paul here is counseling the church in Thessalonica. Uh, some of them had been martyred for their faith. Some of them had died of natural causes. And they wonder what happens to those who die because they're looking forward to Jesus coming back just like Paul said. And he was only with them for a short while. He taught them all about the eminency of the return of Christ. And they thought, are they going to miss out because they died? And Paul straightens this out, answers their questions about what happens to those who die in Christ. And so in verse 13, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, there's that euphemism again, that ye sorrow not. You know why I think he says asleep? Because for Christians, we don't really die. Remember Jesus um, talking to Martha and what she said about her brother? She said, if, you had not, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And he started talking about, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life, you know. And he's, he said, I'm the, uh, in another place, God is the God of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead people. They're living people, and he's their God, and they're alive in heaven. He's the God of the living. And so those who believe in him will never die, Jesus said. Do you believe that? Well, they're sleeping. Their bodies are. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, them also which sleep. Now, don't miss that. The wording, again, is so, so important. Jesus died and rose again, right? How did he do that? When he rose again, he had a glorified body. Then he says, even so, them also. What he means by that, the same way that Jesus came up with a glorified body, you're going to have a glorified body. So those who die in Christ, they're going to come out of their grave with a glorified body. Now, you say, how does that happen? This is the way it was explained to me, and so I'll give you the explanation that I got. They come with the Lord when he comes to pick up the church. These departed, our loved ones, come with the Lord in their soulish bodies. When he does this miraculous event of the resurrection, they are instantaneously united with their body, their remains, which are made into a glorified body, and they're embodied into a physical glorified body at that moment. And they come up to meet the Lord in the air, and then we ascend into heaven with him. That's what happens. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, see Paul says again, we And Paul is just expecting this. Unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That's uh, truly an archaic word, prevent. And that means to go before. And that means that we're not going to go before them. They're going to come up before us, actually. And so, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. We can't look at all these verses. We'll do it some other time. But when God speaks, have you ever noticed in Scripture, some people say, sounded like a trumpet. Some people said it sounded like thunder. And then some people heard what he said. There are certain people who are going to hear what he says when he comes back with a shout. He's going to say, just like he said to John in Revelation chapter 4, come up hither. And I think what's going to happen on that day, we're all going to hear our names, And he's going to say, uh, John Westover, you know, he might say, John, and I'll feel like I'm in trouble. I don't know. But, and then he's going to say, come up hither. And he's going to say, Ray, come up hither. And we're going to hear his voice. The world will say it sounded like a thunder. It sounded like a trumpet. That's the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay. That's the first group. So I put a little one there. Then we which are alive and remain, there's the second group, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. See, we meet him in the clouds and we're with him in the clouds. And uh, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And from there we ascend to the third heaven. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. All right, that's the scripture, the description let me just give you briefly the events in order. We'll go on to the second and last point. So the events in order is the, is the descent of Christ. Um, I don't know that I really need to draw this. But the events in order is the descent of Christ. Number two, the resurrection of the dead in Christ. So those that are, those that are in the ground... They come up like that. They come up. Their remains come up from the sea everywhere. 
In the book of Revelation, it says that the sea gave up their dead. Now, can you tell me, would you mind explaining to me how a man who died at sea in World War II and was swallowed by sharks is going to come up from the sea? You can't describe that and you can't explain it. But God can do it if you believe the Bible. And that's the best explanation I can give you. God can do it. Yeah. Can you, can you explain to me how you make a man out of dirt? Yeah. But we got metal in us. We got, all the, we got all the minerals in us that are in the ground. Right? Yeah. And we got a whole lot of water. Can you explain how we do that? Can you explain to me how a little baby comes out of a woman's belly? Uh-uh. But God forms them. God creates them. Right? So uh, you can't tell me how the, how the, you know, well, there's a lot of things we can't explain. Uh, scientists, you think scientists are so smart, they thought the earth was flat until 1500. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're just dum-dums. We're just, we're all little kids in God's school. So, the resurrection of the dead in Christ, they get their glorified immortal bodies. They are brought up first. The change of living believers like us, maybe it'll be tonight, from mortal to immortal bodies instantaneously for those in Christ who are living at the time. So it's like they come up first before us and then we go up and go up to be with the Lord. And um, here's the thing though, folks, knowing what we know, when I was in Korea, South Korea for a year, served there, uh, it was the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, we had just gotten back from, um, well, we weren't... uh, we weren't out uh, selling Girl Scout cookies, I'll just say that. we just gotten back, and, um, and I wasn't living for the Lord, and I'm ashamed of those days. However, middle of the night, I get a knock on my door. We lived in barracks, and I had my own room. Um, people liked me, and so I got my own room. And they said, turn on the TV. I said, what, what? Stop knocking on my door. Turn on the TV. You've got to see this. And I could tell by the way that they sounded. They just busted in my room, which you don't do that. That's like breaking into somebody's house. They just came right in my room. Turn on the TV. And I turned on the TV, and there, there's two towers in the middle of New York City. And it's dark where I am, but there it's light. You know, it's it in the morning, right? So that just goes to show you. And we got instant access with our cell phones to what's going on around the world. And that just goes to show you that I think we're going to be aware. Somebody is going to be. Somebody is going to be asleep when Jesus comes back. And that's exactly what you should be doing, is getting a good night's rest. Somebody is going to be awake and serving the Lord and passing out tracts or whatever. But we're going to know, I think. We're going to have a little bit of a warning, just a little bit. I mean, it's already happening, so we can't guess the day or the hour. But we're going to have a little bit of a warning. And I bet there's going to be a whole lot of phone calls and a whole lot of text messages and uh, now you might think this is crazy. Right, we're seeing the signs. It's all around us. I think you ought to have something ready in your phone, a website, a sermon, something ready so you can send this to somebody when it happens. Um, again, now you might think I'm crazy, but listen, I believe it. And if you think I'm crazy, that's all right. <laughs> I'm half crazy anyways. You know, I know that. So... Um, but I'm just saying, that's, we're going to know a little bit. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody. It's not a scary thing. It's a comforting thing. It's only scary if you're not saved. Um, so, 
the meeting with Christ in the air, and then we descend, we ascend into heaven. Now, lastly, the timing. The timing. So, we had talked about amillennial and postmillennial believers, okay? That's the millennium. No millennium, or Christ comes back at the end of the millennium. They see the rapture of the church. They see it. But they see it at the end of this age. So they would lump it together with the general resurrection at the end of this age. I showed you why I can't go along with that. Um, there are several premillennial views. That's us. Christ comes back. This is not his second coming. He's in the air here. His second coming is right here when he touches down on the Mount of Olives. We believe that he comes back before the millennium. And people who are like that are called premillennial. And we have several different views in our, in our groups. Um, now listen, lest we be misled by somebody on YouTube or somebody who's got a radio program or something. Lest we be misled by somebody who would say, tell us uh, that this, what I'm teaching right now, what your pastor is teaching you, um, is a 19th century invention. It was invented in the 1850s. It'd say, or somewhere around there. And um, this is a new belief. And if it's new, it isn't true. Okay? Lest somebody says that, I want to give you this. Look at what was discovered in a sermon by a 4th century preacher named Ephraim the Syrian. So this is A.D. 306 to 373 when he lived. This is one of his sermons that he preached. Um, He's quoting here from one of the sermons entitled On the Last Times. So look, there's a crazy preacher like me <laughs> back in the 300s. On the Last Times. The Antichrist and the End of the World. Here's the quote. For all the saints and the elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation to come and are taken to the Lord lest they should see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of their sins. So you hear that? Gathered prior to the tribulation. All right. So in case they say no one believed this until the 19th century, you say, I don't think so. That doesn't work. So now the pre-tribulational rapture, that's one view. And I can feel like we're kind of, we're kind of, Right now, I feel like we're dragging. I can just sense it. Do you guys feel like we're dragging? Do you feel like we ought to cut it off and then keep going some other time? I feel like I can sense it in the room when it's time to kind of wind down. All right, I'll try not to go too much longer, okay? Pre-tribulational rapture. Here's the meaning of it. The meaning. It happens before the seven-year tribulation period. That's the coming of the Lord in the air, not the ground. Proof cited. I'll give you some proof. I'm going to quote directly from the Ruckman Reference Bible, one of the reference Bibles I have. Quote, The tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. That's Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Jacob's trouble. Okay? Not the church's trouble. That week of years is for the Jews and the Gentiles. We're in a separate group altogether. You remember me talking about that? Remember how I talked about you had the uh, you have the three groups of people in the world. You'll find these in the Bible: the Jews, the Gentiles, and 
the church. Now, do you remember what Paul said about the church and why we know this is a third group? One, two, three. Remember Paul said that in the church, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? So in the church, there's only one body. That's the whole mystery of the body. That's another mystery that Paul taught. The whole mystery of the body. There's only one body, neither Jew nor Gentile. One of these days, um, I'm going to go to Columbus on a Saturday, as if I don't drive enough already. But there's a Messianic Christian church up there that meets on Saturday. Now, I know that's not biblical, because there shouldn't be a Messianic Christian church. There should just be a Christian church. So what you have is you have Jews for Jesus is what it is. Now, I'm thrilled that they're saved. So, and I'm interested because I'm weird like that. Somebody dropped off a, a common book of prayer. The, basically, it's the, the hymnal and the order of service for the Episcopal Church in America, which came from the Anglican Church, which is England, and that didn't work anymore after we threw off the, the crown you know, from England. And stuff. But anyways, I, I saw that, and I was all happy. I went home to read it. Like, I was going home with, like, a new movie or something, and, or, you know, I was just, I went home and read through that thing and just was really enjoying it, because that's how I am. So I'm going to go to this Messianic Christian church and just see how they do church service. But really, guys, we're not supposed to meet on the Sabbath, and we're supposed to meet on the first day of the week, and there's not supposed to be that, because there's neither Jew nor Gentile in the body of Christ. However, in the tribulation, there are two bodies. So the time of Jacob's trouble, this seven years right here, that is for the Jews. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. So in the tribulation, saved people are in two bodies. Look at one more reference, and then we'll shut it down. One more reference. Revelation chapter 7. I just want you to see it because it's so clear. You can't miss it unless you're trying to miss it. Yeah. Oh. Yes. And, and it shows us that God is extremely merciful because he's going to save a remnant of Jews out of that. And Gentiles will be saved. Yes. And it's all Jewish stuff. All Jewish territory. Jacob... He's the one that was called Israel. That's where the 12 tribes came from, right? Um, so, Revelation 7, I'll show you the two groups, two bodies in the tribulation period. So, verse 4, I heard the number of them which were sealed. Now, this is that 144,000 Jewish uh, male uh, pure men. They were sealed, and 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of who? Israel, okay? They're going to go about and preach the gospel uh, in a little bit different form, and we won't get into that. But they're going about and preaching that, and there's going to be a remnant of Israel that's saved as a result of that. And, and Gentiles. So that's one group, Jewish right there. And then look at the second group, uh, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number... Of all nations. Now, here's where sometimes knowing a little bit of Greek is helpful. 
The same word that's translated nations there is also translated Gentiles in other places. So when you see Gentiles, just think nations, if you want a simple definition for it. That means that these are Gentile tribulation saints that are saved of kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and stood before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, I can't wait to join in this, Sit, who sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and all the four beasts fell down before the throne in their faces and worshipped God, going on and saying all of these wonderful things about God, about these who are arrayed in white robes. Those are people who have come out of great tribulation. See at verse 14? They come out of great tribulation. That's the last three and a half years of God's wrath. In verse 14, great tribulation. Two bodies. Now that doesn't exist in the church. Paul would never talk like that. So there's two bodies getting saved in the tribulation. It's not the same. All right? Here's a, here's a couple more. The church is not appointed unto wrath. We've looked at that before. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. 1 in verse 10 and chapter 5 and verse 9. We're not appointed unto wrath. Revelation chapter 6 verse 17 says, For the great day of His wrath is come. This is God's great day of wrath. And we're not going through it. I told you about the Kentucky preacher that I heard. I hope I get to hear him again down at Somerset, Kentucky in Camp Victory. And this Kentucky preacher got up and he said, he said these people who believe we're going halfway through the tribulation or all the way before the, through the tribulation, he said, you know what that'd be like? That'd be like the Lord taking his bride, because the church is his bride, taking his bride, taking her out behind the barn and just beating the snot out of her right before he marries her. Because that's what's happening. When we get up to be with the Lord, we go through the judgment seat of Christ, and then the marriage. We're married to Christ for eternity. So it just don't make, it don't make horse sense. It don't make Bible sense. It don't make any sense. The rapture can only be imminent. That's my last reason. Do you realize that? The rapture could only be imminent. Like any time, any day now, Jesus is coming back. It could only be imminent if it happens before the tribulation period. Because if the tribulation starts, they know. All we have to do is endure to the end. They know there's only a little bit of time. They'll know. And that's not imminent. That's not the way Paul talked about it. All right, let's stop there. I was going to talk about the mid-tribulation, but maybe another time. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Uh, God, I thank you. Uh, I pray that you'd give your saints endurance in these Wednesday night Bible studies. Um, it's a lot, and Lord, I enjoy it, but I know that we're, we're just flesh and blood. We can only take so much. So I just thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the Word of God. We enjoy it so much. But God, let us not forget the importance of telling others about Jesus during this time and of living for you so that when you come back that uh, we're, we're not ashamed that we can be looking forward to you coming back. In Jesus' name, amen.